Well, good morning. I'm uh, Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so if, I, uh, if you're visiting, hi, welcome. I, I hope I introduced myself to everybody. But um, uh, obviously summer kicked in. I, I thought summer was last week, apparently not. So, um, so uh, it's great seeing you guys. And um, we are diving in to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this morning. And um, and so we, you all hopefully went through and read 1 Corinthians 13. I totally messed up on like the, the verses and the cutoff. So you might have gone all the way through 14, 19 if you were very diligent and you followed instructions. Uh, or you got through 13, you're like, this is enough. I don't have enough time to go through the rest of this, which is, I think, what actually happened. So we're going to go through all of 14 today, kind of. Um, I've never done this before, but I can't get through it all. And so, uh, and it's a, a fairly important topic. And so what we're going to do um, is I'm going to preach until somebody uh, falls asleep. No, I'm just joking. Uh, it's getting around the first floor. I'm just joking. Uh, so uh, I'm going to just stop basically like midway through. And uh, I think I've got a stopping point, but, but time will actually be the driver there. So I'll stop. And then um, honestly, I... I Melissa and I are going to come back in here, and she's going to click slides for me, and I'm going to record part two uh, of the sermon, and it'll all go up kind of at the same time. So it'll be a part one, part two. So um, you're welcome to come back if you want to go get lunch and then come back. You can. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's the plan. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I kind of I wish I could uh, spend more time, but um, anyway, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you have won, that you are victorious. And God, that's the foundation of everything in our lives. Why we call it the good news, why we come here to worship you. It motivates us. It gives us purpose. It defines who we are as children of a victorious king. So we thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pouring out your grace. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us yourself. And we pray, Father, that this morning, that every word that I speak up here would be edifying, that it would be encouraging, that it would be glorifying to you. Because that's the desire of our hearts, Father, that you would be glorified, that you would be seen for who you are, and that you would remove any distractions and confusions from our minds. And that you would be worshipped. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. This is arguably one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible. <laughs> um, and quite frankly, uh, I, don't, I'm, I don't know the answer. So there we go. Okay, So I'm just laying that out here right now. I'm going to walk through, I'm going to be very clear about where I know is, is valid and true and, and what's clearly God's instruction and the places that I don't know, I'm going to be totally frank with you, okay? And I'm going to say, I don't know, because I spent about a month going through this now, and, uh, and I still don't know. <laughs> and, and this isn't, um, and, and here's the important part, is we just saying that, that Jesus is our victory, right? God secured what? He defeated sin. He defeated death for us. Paul's point as he gets through this, right, it, it hasn't changed. And we read this in chapter 13, hopefully, right? The love chapter isn't just about ooey-gooey love and how we should just be loving people. 
it's in the context of really this, this gathered assembly, right? right? Like we talked about participating as one body. What does that look like and how does that change the way that we interact with each other? And, and remember, the Corinthians were struggling in particular with competitiveness and they had this kind of one-upmanship and so they were, um, it, was, it was kind of them attempting to be more spiritual than each other, and and there is even in um, I think in Second Corinthians, Paul's going to write to them again, and he's going to refer to some people that came in calling them super apostles, and he's using that in a derogatory sense because they're they're coming and going. I'm better than Paul, right? Like like I'm I'm better at what right? And so there's just this very competitive spirit. And so what Paul is saying is, it's not how that's supposed to be. Like everything that you're doing, God's given you gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's brought them, he's assembled them into this place. We talked about this last week, right? And he goes, what's the point of that? It's not just so that you can say, hey, I've got this gift. It's so that you can edify the church, so that the church can be built up by our collective efforts. Like, and I don't mean like built up, but like encouraged and edified, right? And so this is where Paul is launching into in chapter 14. And what he's going to do is he's going to break out and he's going to say, let me give you two examples. And the two examples are prophecy and tongues. So either in here, that just created in you, like it went up your spine, right, when I said those things, or you have no idea what I'm talking about, okay, that's another group of you, or you, um, you really like it, you know what I mean? And so there, there, honestly, there, those, there's a lot of different opinions, and here's the beautiful part, you guys. Our church is filled with all three of you, and that's good. That's good. That's a good church, right? That's a good assembly. I've had some great conversations this week with people. Um, because quite frankly, the world is divided on this issue. What, how, how, what specifically is prophecy? What specifically is tongues? And, and how do we apply them into this body? Now remember, Paul is talking primarily about this gathered assembly. What does it look like in here? What's his context? How are we building each other up? And he goes, let's take, for example, prophecy in tongues. And so that's where he's launching into and going, we're going to compare these two things, and I'm going to show you how love in chapter 13 and building each other up in chapter 12 are the foundations upon which we operate. What you choose to do, right? He said this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. You have these gifts. You can do whatever you want, but are you creating a stumbling block for your brother or sister in Christ? And so this is where Paul is trying to get us to see our responsibility in this place. What does it look like? What do you owe? And here's, here's the crazy part. I might begin ahead of myself a little bit. I am. All right, so let, let's get in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, chapter 14, verse 1. All right, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 here. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm going to pause there. We're going to go a little faster. Don't worry. But do you remember in chapter 12, verse 31, we left last week and I went, I don't, I don't know what he's saying here, the earnestly desire the higher gifts. You guys remember me saying that? And I'm like, man, I, honestly, I'm not exactly sure. I think here he is talking about in this corporate structure, we should be pursuing and we should be encouraging the gifts that edify the body that build each other up, right? Like, that's his point. Like, you might have this other gift, but if it's not really building up the church, 
you know, that's not, that's, it's not bad, but you should be prioritizing uh, the higher gifts. And so he connects chapter 13 with chapter 12 in the very first sentence. He says, pursue love, I just talked about love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So right at the very beginning, Paul goes, you should prioritize prophecy, okay? Verse two, for one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And so Paul creates a contrast between tongues and, uh, and prophecy. And he says, prophecy you should pursue. Why? Well, because it, you're speaking things from God. And everybody can understand it. And it's good, and it's edifying, and it builds up the church. Tongues, on the other hand, it, you're, you're speaking to God. No, nobody else can understand it. And so, in particular here, he's saying, this, it's not as beneficial. You should prioritize prophecy. Verse 3. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Okay, here we go. So, there's division on what that means by tongues, frankly, okay? And so I'm going to, and, and, and I don't, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I've, I've, I convinced myself in both directions multiple times this, over the last couple of weeks, okay? So there is one group of people that go, these tongues that he's talking about are foreign languages that God miraculously gives people to speak primarily for evangelistic purposes. And they would reference Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down on the believers and they all spoke and everybody, and we'll all get to that much later. But, um, and so they would point to that and they would say, that's the tongues he's talking about. And so when God miraculously gives somebody the gift of tongues, they have the ability to speak in a language that they have not learned. And the point of that was so that other people could understand the gospel. And so from an evangelistic perspective, made sense. And we'll get back to, I'll, I'll go through Acts 2. I think that's in part two. Uh, but anyway, um, the, other ver the other thought is that this is legitimately a heavenly dialect and that this is speaking to God. It's mysteries. We, you, we, don't, we don't know what we're saying unless somebody interprets, which is what Paul says. And that it's, it's some sort of, that God gives you this gift so that you can communicate directly with God. So those those are really the two positions on this, okay? And I don't know which one it is. But in Paul's context, I don't think it matters necessarily. Because what is he saying? Well, if I got up here and started speaking uh, Mandarin Chinese, are you guys going to want to hang out and listen to the rest of the sermon in Mandarin Chinese? No, you'd be like, all right, well, thanks, thanks. That's not edifying, it's not building up, it's not encouraging, you can't do anything for me there. And so it makes sense, right? Like, if I had this God-given gift to do that, I shouldn't do it. Now, if we had somebody who spoke Mandarin Chinese right here and they could translate it, that would be pretty amazing. 
especially if I hadn't learned Mandarin Chinese. If you knew that I didn't, I, I never went to a Mandarin Chinese class, and I'm like, watch this. And I'm not trying to play, but I mean, that would be miraculous. That would be incredible. And, and honestly, there are, um, there are many um, accounts of that happening on the mission field of people doing that, speaking in a foreign language that they didn't know and that people heard. Now, whether they were speaking a heavenly dialect and God changed the the hearer's ears such that they could understand it and hear it in their own language, I don't know. Do you understand the complexity so far that we're in? Okay. But there's another issue. (laughs) There's another issue that overlays all this. Does it still happen today? That's a whole nother, right? So you could take either one of those positions And you could say, okay, well, that was back then. Is that still for us now? All right. So there's there's four. uh, It's like four or six possibilities if you go through like the the combination permutation stuff. All right. So so that's what we're looking at here. And so so but what Paul says there in verses one through five is super clear. Regardless, if you're speaking in a tongue, unless somebody interprets, which he gives that caveat, and we'll get to that more in a bit. He says, unless somebody interprets, what are you doing? You're just showboating. I mean, that's kind of his, that's kind of his, his emphasis here. Like, how is that helping you if I'm talking in another language? Now, it certainly might testify to maybe my spirituality, or or maybe that's a bad way of saying that. It might testify to God's gifting of me, right? Which would be certainly glorifying to God in some sense. But is it for the corporate structure? Is it for the church? Is it edifying? Is it loving? Am I thinking about you or am I thinking about me and my relationship with God? It's not a bad thing to have a good relationship with God. It's not a bad thing to be able to communicate with God. But in this context, is that the most encouraging and upbuilding thing for the church? So that's where he starts off with this. so go to, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And we've, we've read this before, right? Like this is, um, uh, see, he says, he's talking about the different roles that God's ga- given people in the church. And he says, for what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up, same word, the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That's the point. That's why we're here. That's why God gave us gifts. In fact, earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, that's a great section. We're going to hit it a few times today. Uh, But earlier in that, it says that Jesus left and he gave gifts to men. That's what he's referring to. Like, God gave us gifts for what? To equip the saints. We're the saints for the work of ministry. What's ministry? Serving each other. Glorifying God. Building each other up. That's our purpose. Chapter 13, love each other. Okay. I feel like I want to say something else there. <laughs> okay. So, so let, me just, let me just question our motives here for a second. And this is, this is me too. This is, this is all of us. I think there has been a shift in um, in what church is, honestly. What people see church as. Is it a place for us to come to hear 
the words of God, exegeted from Scripture, and for us to walk out of here feeling closer to God. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, that, that's good. Is it, I'm guessing you don't have a band at your house, so is it, is it a great place to come in and actually worship better than just listening to the radio on your, in your car and driving on the freeway and, you know, screaming horribly in your car like me, right? So yeah, there's some benefit to that. There's some, there's some own personal spiritual edification that happens when we come to church. What Paul's concern in chapter 12, in chapter 13, and in chapter 14 is not that. It's not that. In fact, he's pushing the brakes on the Corinthians as they're pursuing their own spiritual growth and maturity. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have a responsibility to each other. You're here. You're a body, right? Like in chapter 12, we talked about that. The, and, uh, I think that was chapter 12. We talked about Lord's Supper and like this, this participating with Christ, participating with each other, koinonia, fellowship, that we are together, that we are one body. We're an ear and a tongue and, a, and eyes and all of this. And, and so what God is doing is he's saying, no, 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 you should be thinking about how this is benefiting each other. It's not about you entirely. It is a little bit, right? You see, you see what? And so this is what Paul's point is in chapter four, 14 is he's like, hey, stop, just for right now, just stop thinking about you. Think about how God has gifted you and enabled you to really love and edify and console each other. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Mourn with those who are mourning, right? When we go through the scriptures, we see all over it one another's. How we're supposed to, our lives, the decisions we make, the freedoms that we now have in Christ, what do we do with all that? We use them to love each other, to point each other back to the cross, to remind each other of what Jesus has done. Exactly like, where did you go, Warner? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were right there. Exactly like what Warner said, right? Like we point each other back to the cross. We go, man, your circumstances just suck. Sorry. But Jesus is victorious. We need to hear that. We need to hear that. We need to remind each other of that because otherwise we're lost. We're going to get bogged down. The circumstances of our lives are going to drown us. And instead, we point back and we sing songs like, I mean, it couldn't have been a better song. No, Jesus is the victory. Jesus has given you victory over your ailing health. Because guess what? What does Paul say? To live uh, is Christ, to die is gain. Wait, wait, what, what, what can happen to us? What, how, what a great way to live life. And we have, each one of us, if, if we trust in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have that confidence and that trust and that peace. But not only that, but in our sin, right? We're not walking around on eggshells going, man, I hope I don't offend God today. I hope I don't sin today. I mean, we, we hope we don't, but we're not afraid of like some sort of lightning bolt coming down from heaven. God loves us. He's adopted us. We're his children. That's how he sees us. And so he, he's accomplished this victory. And so we gather together to do what? To look each other in the eyes. We go, how you doing? How you doing? Really? Is there anything I can do? How can I help you? 
hey, oh man, that's so good. I was reading this scripture this morning. Let me, let me tell you what I read because it's super encouraging to me. Maybe it's encouraging to you. That's what we're here to do. That's Paul's foundational, like, right? So, so don't, it's sad, unfortunately, because we go, well, yeah, but what's prophecy and what's tongues? Ah, well, Paul is like, it's, it's so much bigger than that for Paul. He's like, no, no, stop, right? Like his point in this and in chapter 12 wasn't to create division, but to create unity of purpose. And so we're gonna leave here this morning. Some people are gonna disagree with some of the things I say. It's okay. It's okay, I love you. I hope you love me too. But our purpose is all the same. Because I can guarantee you that everybody that I've talked to this week, whether they agree or disagree with me, they all love Christ. And we're all here with the same motivation. So, so that's the ver- first five verses. We'll speed up a little bit here. All right. Um, so Paul's going like, to kind of double down on this. And he's going to say, unintelligible speech is worthless in the church, in the gathered church. Right? Which makes sense. Like if, if nobody's... If nobody's translating this, it doesn't make sense. So let me read through this in verse uh, six. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And then he gives a few metaphors here very quickly. He says, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? We've all done this at some point in our life. Well, if you're not a musician, you've done this at some point where, like, you belly up to the piano, and you're like, here, let me play something, right? And you hammer on the keys, and it's like, eh, thanks, right? It, it's, not, it's not even better than silence. It's worse than silence. Think about that for a second. If I got, went over here, if I played any of these instruments on this stage, you guys would have gone, it would have been better if you did not have spoken. That, that's the fact. And so this is kind of how Paul's relating this. He's like, distinct notes are important. <laughs> Melodies are important. All the other things that go with music are important. I don't know what they are. Stanzas or things, I don't know. Um, all right. And then he gives another analogy in verse 8. He says, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? I'll just give you a very quick application of this. I mean, again, these things make sense. We're doing an exercise this weekend. It started on Thursday. I'm working yesterday, and, like, we're getting attacked. And so there's, like, a bomb that goes off, and, like, the, the windows shake. And then, and, but I don't have a speaker in my office. And so they've got this huge, loud voice that goes across the whole base. And it's like, burr, burr, this is what's happening. And all I hear is, burr, burr, burr. I'm by myself in my office. I'm like, what do I do? I don't even know what to do. I'm waiting for, like, the email to come through, right? Like, it's horrible. Um, but that's the point, right? Like, if it's an indistinct sound, you can't even action off of it, right? Like, it could have been, hey, grab your gun. We got to get to the doors. But uh, here I am sending another email, you know, whatever. All right. In verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner 
to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He goes, it's okay to, to want to be spiritual. It's okay to, to pursue the Spirit. But he's like, if it's not building up the church, it's not helpful. If it's not intelligible, if I'm up here speaking a different language, what do I make you guys? Foreigners. Or, well, or I make myself a foreigner. Right? We become foreigners to each other. If you've got a Bible, underline that, because we're going to get back to that here in a bit. All right, I'll give you another example. Uh, I didn't intend to say the first example, but now I'm going to give another military example. Um, so have you, have you been in a circumstance where you have been the only one that speaks English in the room? It's awkward, right? Like, I mean, especially if you're, like, traveling or whatever. I mean, again, like, and whatever the situation is, it's, it's maybe at first you're, like, trying to listen, trying to see if you know anything, and then it gets exhausting, honestly. And you're like, I, and then you check out. You detach. And like the whole world is happening. There's conversations, whatever's going on. And here you are in the corner going, oh, I don't know. I went to church in Romania for some time, and I, 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 um, um, the whole service was in Romanian, and I didn't know Romanian. Um, the songs were familiar, so that was nice. But um, I had this young couple that would sit behind me, and they would whisper in English in my ear. It was super cool. Um, and, and it was neat. But if they weren't there, I, I wouldn't have gone, frankly. Well, I don't know. Maybe I would have. I mean, I went the first time. But yeah, I, I probably would have still gone. But, but it was, it, it's not as fruitful. Like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I can't do anything. And so you make each other a foreigner. So my military example is my brother is also in the Air Force. And we'll talk. Um, and after about five minutes of talking in, like, a party or whatever, we look around and it seems as though everybody has left. <laughs> and here we are, we're talking. Because we know all the acronyms and the things. Like we have like kind of overlapping career fields. And so it's, it's, we're talking and we know exactly what each other are saying and we're like super passionate about it and everybody else is like, I don't know, I'm out, <laughs> right? And so this is what Paul's saying. He's like, if we're in the body speaking unintelligible things to each other, how are we building each other up? We're making each other feel like foreigners in our own church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ now feel as if they're in another country. Your brothers and sisters in Christ can't relate to what you're saying. It's not worthwhile. Okay, then Paul's going to say that, the, that um, God expects our minds to be engaged. So the presumption in all of this is that our minds are fruitful. There, there's something that's happening. So read with me here in verse 13. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. I'm going to pause here for a second, okay? I'm just going to revise or go back. This could be a foreign language. This could be a heavenly dialect, okay? We can still operate off of both of you. This is how I'm doing this. Uh, this is how I was working on this sermon, right? Like, how many doors can I go through where we're all together before we, we split? And I think we're all still together because either one of those we still have the same conclusion from what Paul is saying here. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That matters. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. All right. 
Paul says here, he does not tell them to stop. Clearly. He doesn't say, don't do it. He says, engage your mind as well. Even if you're at home and you're praying it with, with, in a tongue, whichever one that is, you still need to pray with your words because otherwise if you don't know what you're saying, it's unfruitful for you personally. It's unfruitful for the church. And so he says, do both. Do both. Don't, don't stop one. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't lay a hard line in the sand and say, you got to stop that. He says, do it also with words so that your mind is not unfruitful. And we've heard this before, right? Um, when Jesus meets the woman at the well. You've got the Samaritans who were worshiping in their own temple and the Jews who are worshiping in Jerusalem. And she kind of pontificates of like, well, where should we worship and all of this? And, and Jesus says to her in uh, John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is speaking such people to worship him. And so what he's saying here is like, it's like you don't, have, don't this, isn't, this isn't absent of the Spirit, but the truth part, but the words part, the fruitfulness of your mind, engaging your mental capacity is fundamentally important. All right, look what he says in verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So what he's saying is if you're speaking in this tongue and you're praising God and you're thanking him for things, nobody else is going to be able to say amen with you, right? Like if I spoke in a tongue up here and then I stopped and I said amen, you guys all look at me like, were you done? I didn't know that that was the end of it, right? Like, like you, you wouldn't be able to join in, right? That's his point. There's, there's community here, koinonia, fellowship. He says, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. It's his point. Is it pretty clear? If you went through this chapter, paper Bible, and you just under, underline that word, built up, like it's over and over and over again, and Paul's concern for this is very clear. And then Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So here's Paul. He's like, listen, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying look at the perspective. Look at what you're doing for the body. It's really clear. And he's like, listen, I do it. Now, here's, here's the interesting part, and I'll just kind of go down Paul, we don't have any record of Paul really doing it. Like, he doesn't ever, like in these other letters, we don't ever hear him do it. So it may be that he's doing this in prayer. And we'll, again, we'll talk more about that stuff later as we kind of walk through this. Um, it may just be that he does this when he, in his own prayer time. Um, but regardless, he goes, if, I, if we were all sitting here and we had a guest uh, speaker today and it was Paul, right? That'd be pretty, that'd be pretty epic. Would you go, hey, Paul, speak in tongues for us? Or would you say, Paul, teach us? We would all, I mean, everybody would say, dude, I, 
I want to hear from you. Like, what was it like? Tell, teach us. What, you know, you're an apostle. Like, tell us what it was like on the road to Damascus. Tell us what it was like going on those missionaries, right? Like, that's what we would want. And he says the same thing. Hyperbole here, right? Don't count. That's not the point of this. In fact, I think the 10,000 is uh, actually just the word is many. But his, his point here is five words. Good morning. How are you? That's better <laughs> than many words in a tongue, right? So it's very clear Paul's perspective on this. And again, he's doing this from a perspective of caring for the body. All right. So I'll... I'll I mentioned it a little bit earlier than I intended to, but if you go to Romans 8, 26, it, it kind of speaks to this idea that perhaps tongues are useful in a prayer language. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I've been there. I've been there, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know what to pray for, God. I'm struggling here. There's a lot of sighing and groaning. It's exasperation. It's like, God, I, I wish I knew what to pray for, but I don't. And so I'm just going to let your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me groan and intercede on my behalf. And I don't know what happens. I don't know, I can't tell you what the, I can't draw a diagram for what those moanings and groanings that, like in the, the conduit that goes up to heaven and God's like, okay, and this is what's happening and now let me, I don't know, no, not a clue. But I do know that from my own perspective, I don't know what to pray for as I ought. And I think we can all probably say that probably right now in some situation in our life. So does God say, well, when you figure it out, come to me on your knees because I don't want to hear from you until then. No. He says, I gave you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, right? And he intercedes on our behalf. That's a beautiful promise. Beautiful promise. This is what adoption does, right? Like, it's okay. I got gotcha. you. I know you better than you know you. <laughs> I know what you want. Even when you do think you figure out what you want, you're probably going to be wrong, <laughs> Maybe not probably, but oftentimes we're wrong, right? Like, clearly God wants me to do this. He's like, nope, right? So, so the Holy Spirit does this. And so that's a good place for us to go and go, well, okay, maybe this is a private prayer language as well. All right, but Paul then is going to say, what is our purpose here? He's like, this gathering together, this building each other up, our purpose is to proclaim the gospel, not just to each other, not just to remind each other, but that when outsiders come in, that they would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the point. Not that they would come in and be wowed by our spirituality. Uh, we don't want the focus on us. We want the focus on Christ. We don't want the focus on the band. We don't want the focus on me standing up here. The focus is on Jesus Christ and what he does, that he accomplished victory for us. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. That's the point. And so when people come in here, right, if, you're, if your friend that didn't know Christ as an unbeliever comes in here, what do you want them to, what, what do you want them to see? Yeah, right? You want them to see Jesus. You don't want them to see me. 
You don't want him to see Warner or anybody else that comes up here on the stage? Like, that's not the point. Oh, man, I, I hope nobody invites a friend going, you should hear my pastor. And yet, we do sometimes. What we should say is, you should come here and see the body of Christ. It's beautiful. You should come and see this community. See the, the transparency. See the authenticity. See the church love each other. See the sinful, broken, failed people love each other. See us remind each other of what matters. So our purpose is to proclaim the gospel, and this is what Paul's going to do as he starts talking about this in verse 21. Oh, actually, I think I missed a verse. I did. Well, I'll just read it. That after that five words and 10,000 in a tongue, he says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I think his point there, and this is a critical piece as we kind of launch into the next piece, he goes, what do kids do? What do infants do? They operate based off of emotion, right? They don't logically think through stuff. They just, they just kind of feel and react. And he says, don't, don't, don't do that. Think, be mature, be controlled. And this is his point, because what? He wants us to be thinking about our evangelistic opportunities. He wants us to be thinking about what an outsider. He wants us to put us, ourselves in the shoes of somebody walking into this church for the first time. What do they see? What are they thinking about? And are they going to see Christ? That's what we should all be thinking. And when you see a brother or sister in Christ walk in here, they're not an outsider. But nonetheless, you can see on their face, man, they, they need to be reminded of who Christ is today. They need some encouragement and consolation. That's how we can be mature. What do infants do? Cry until they get the next thing for themselves, right? You've never seen an infant that was like really hardcore sharer, right? No. All right. Verse 21. It says, in the law, it is written by people, and he, he quotes uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 28 here. He says, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay. I'm going gonna, gonna to jump back here for a second. He's quoting Isaiah. This was a judgment on Israel. The judgment was kind of twofold. One, Israel, I'm going, I'm going to other nations now. You were, you were my chosen people, but I'm going to other nations because you're going to hear praises come from the lips of foreigners, and that's a judgment on you. Does that make sense? I'm going elsewhere. I'm not, I'm not leaving you alone, but I'm, I'm, I'm spreading this thing out. This isn't just going to reside with Israel. Because Israel was like, we're the only ones that have the truth. We're the only ones that worship Yahweh. And God goes, that's not going to be the case anymore. I'm going outside of this. And so that was a judgment on Israel. But there's a second piece of this. He says, um, and even then they will not listen to me. Okay. Before Google Translate, here's the thing. We know every language. I mean, if you heard a language, you would probably go, I could probably guess maybe like where regionally where that's from, right? 
Like probably any language, whether you could say what it is or not, you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's probably from this continent or that's probably from this area or whatever. Why? Well, because we live in the 21st century. We have YouTube, we have Google Translate, we have all sorts of resources to us. What did they have here? Not, not much, right? They had mariners that showed up at their port from different places, certainly, and some different languages, but they didn't have a huge breadth of experience in these different languages. And so what he's saying here is that even then, they didn't listen to me. So what God is gonna do is, like, could you imagine if somebody came in here and they went, maybe, maybe we could only hear the first part. God wants me to tell you, and then he says it in a foreign language. And we're like, oh, what was the rest? That's kind of, again, that's, that's the judgment part, right? Like, like, even then, they're not gonna understand you because you're gonna start having these Gentiles come in speaking the truths of God, and guess what? You're not gonna understand them because you speak Hebrew. And you're not gonna know what they're saying. And I'm gonna be revealing myself to them, and you're, you're out. You're out. You're, you're not able to, uh, to worship me in that way. And so what he's saying is, like, as, as he sets this up, that's what he's talking about. Okay, so now verse 22. Thus, so he's pointing to that judgment on Israel. He says, thus tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. So an unbeliever walks in here, and we're speaking another language, it's a judgment on them, right? If we're all speaking in tongues, if we're doing all this stuff, and, and they don't understand what's happening, what are they going to do? They're going to turn around, and they're going to walk away. They're going to they're feel judged. In fact, we can even do that in just Christianese, right? We can do that by using words that nobody knows what we're saying. And honestly, that's something that like, I, I try to be careful of up here, but I don't want to be speaking in a language that requires 10 years of reading the Bible, right? And that's important. And none of us should. We should be able to just speak normal everyday language that people will come in here and not feel judged. That's the important part here. But then he says, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together, and so this is his, remember, this is in the gathered church. If the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Right, what are they gonna do? They're gonna be like, uh, okay, I'll be back. I won't. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The seers of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Which one do we want? That's Paul's point. What do you want? Do you want him to be like, oh, wow, that's weird. You guys are crazy. I'm out. Or do you want them to know Christ, to hear the gospel, to repent, to turn from their waves, and to trust in God? He's like, what's your purpose? That's his whole point in this chapter is, what is your point? Are you looking to build up the church? Are you looking to edify each other? Are you evangelistic in your mindset? Or are you just thinking about yourself? All right, I'm gonna stop. I think, I think <laughs> thank you. Um, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. This, this is my breaking point. All right. You with me on this? It doesn't matter how you're interpreting prophecy or tongues at this point. Um, now, we still have an overarching question, which is, Paul's giving very clear instructions to the Corinthians. Um, and, and so we have to ask, is that instruction for us as well today? And if so, how then does this apply? Go watch part D. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say yet. Um, but so, that, so that's what we're going to, uh, I'm going to finish up this afternoon. Uh, like I said, um, I think we'll be back here probably, um, yeah, like 2 o'clock. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be sad if nobody is here, okay? I'm just throwing that out there. Like that's not, it's not the point. I just want to make sure I'm getting through this. I want to give it its due diligence. And I've been talking for 45 minutes and um, I just can't get it under 45 minutes. I'm sorry. Um, all right. I feel like I'm just totally leaving you guys in the lurch. It's like you're watching Stranger Things, and apparently there's a part two. Um, all right, so, all right. So, sorry, a little pop culture reference. All right, let me pray.